Do me a favor, go ahead and grab your Bibles, and you're going to be uh, opening them up um, to the book of Isaiah, and I'll throw the scripture on the screen here in a second. Um, Isaiah chapter 14. I'll go ahead and tell you the scripture now. We'll, we'll get you there. Isaiah chapter 14. While you're doing that, I've got another favor to ask of you. I'm full of asking favors this morning, okay? Now, bear with me on this one because some of you are going to struggle. I, I know it right now. Um, you're going to be tempted just to to want to look at the person next to you and say, I can't believe this. Why did we come here? And you might even be tempted to get up and leave. So just bear with me at least for five minutes and hear me out, okay? Um, I'm going to ask that every Ohio State fan in this room right now, for a moment, embrace the Michigan fans. No, no, don't on. And if you are a... <laughs> There's, there's already some people. Yeah, she's getting ready to leave. There are some Michigan fans in here. I'm going to ask you, vice versa, to embrace the Ohio State fans. And if you are neither an Ohio State nor a Michigan fan, maybe you're Notre Dame, maybe you're Wisconsin, Penn State, whatever it may be, I'm going to ask you to just pick your rival and just embrace them for a moment, okay? See them, big gulp, as an equal, okay? Now, here's the thing. I only... I want you to just, I only want you to embrace one another. I know I'm pushing it right here. I want you to consider cheering for the other team too, okay? I know it sounds ridiculous. Never do that, right? But just try a little. Over time, over time, it won't be so bad. You'll get used to it. Matter of fact, I not only want you to embrace them, I want you to change your allegiance and just cheer for the other team. I'm, I'm not asking Ohio State fans to completely give up your Ohio State bleeding of your colors. I'm just going to ask you just to chill for a little bit, okay? And start to cheer for Michigan a little bit more, okay? Now, I know you don't have to go big at first. It might even hurt, Okay. But start with a little maybe secret cheering at home when nobody's around. Go ahead and close the, close the blinds. Just let out a go boo. I know, you, can't, you won't even be able to say it. You're going to go boo. boo. And, and, and if you're a Michigan fan, you're going to try the oh. And you won't be able to even get the second letter of whatever the Ohio fans cheer for, right? You know what I'm talking about. You, uh, I would encourage you, go buy some maize and gold-colored things, a few shirts. As time goes on, hang out with the Michigan fans. Get to know them, okay? Um, go to their house, cheer with them. Walk away from Ohio State just for that fan base, just for a little bit. You know, no more hang on, Sloopy. Just pick that different fight song, okay? Okay? Are you in? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Please don't walk out, okay? Some of you might think I'm crazy. Why did I even start off a sermon like that? Um, they say, no one in their right mind would ever do that. I would never cheer for the other team. Stay strong, right? Um, you may believe that we wouldn't do that, right? We would never do that with our teams. But let me ask you something. Would we ever consider doing that spiritually? Think about it. You may say, wait, Rex. We never change teams spiritually either. We would never change our allegiance with God. We, we would never switch up and, and go with our opponent. Never, right? Never? Well, before you make that bold proclamation, let's talk about Christianity. Let's talk about our spiritual opponent. Um, our, our youth group, Tupas, which means to be an example of Christ, on, on Wednesday nights we're discussing this topic, and, and they know what is to be true, and we talked about this, and I felt the conversation needed to continue today. Um, but here's what, here's what we talk about. Just as we believe there is one God, 
Only one God. Creator and Lord of all. Ruler of all. Loving and just. Just as we know that there is also a, a, a nemesis, an, an enemy, an opponent of God. The adversary, the arch enemy of God is Satan. And just as God is real, Satan is real. And if I were to mention Satan and demons and all that kind of stuff, what comes to your mind? I mean, some of you, you know, your mind starts going all over the place, right? Some of you believe like, oh, demons everywhere. And some of you are like, I don't believe in demons. I mean, if you trip over on a crack, you're like, there's a demon crack right there. There's a demon within the crack. Or your, your car won't start, you believe your, your car is possessed. There's, it's a demon. You blame everything on Satan. Satan made me do it. And then there's some of you that's like, I don't even, I don't even believe any of that. Or you're somewhere in between. Well, what do we know about Satan? Isaiah chapter 14 is where we're at, okay? So in Isaiah chapter 14, and you opened up there, um, we're going to find a few things here. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about two aspects of filling prophecy here. Okay. First, there's, a, there's an immediate and partial fulfillment that's going to take place uh, on earth with, the, with Babylon. And then there's another fulfillment of prophecy that was going to take place in a spiritual empire of Babylon, the world system, and that king was Satan. So let's pick this up, Isaiah chapter 14, starting in verse 13, where it says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you'll be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Now, in reading the scripture, and again, keep it in context... It is true that the king of the literal Babylon, in which Isaiah was prophesying about, did shine brightly among the people there in Babylon. But he fell as hard and as completely as possible as if a man was fallen from heaven. He did fall. But there's a few far more brightly shining being that inhabited heaven that also fell a lot more dramatically. And that was the king of the spiritual Babylon. That was Satan. Isaiah here is referencing Satan. In speaking of Satan, we often refer him to as the opposite of God. There's good versus evil. There's light versus dark. If God is, is cold, then Satan is hot. We always, we always put Satan and God as opposites. I want you to understand something very carefully. They are not opposites. God is God Almighty, all-powerful. Satan is a created being, not a God. Does not have the power. Okay? We need to remember that we, sometimes we give Satan more credit, more power than he has. And he was certainly, as we look here in Isaiah, he was something to be looked at. Look what it says. He was a glorious angel. He was a shining star, son of the morning. He's beautiful. Yet there came a time when despite all of his beauty and glory, he departed from the heart of God by wanting to exalt himself above all of God's other stars as we read here. And why did Satan rebel? He wanted to be the highest among all creatures. He wanted to be, be equal to God in all glory and honor. And he planned to, I think the plan for God to create man a little bit above the angels probably set him off because he was a created being, a created angel. And for God to create man a little bit higher than them as we read in the New Testament, 
According to Revelation chapter 12, verses 3, 4, 7, and 9, it says, He apparently persuaded one-third of the angelic beings to join in his rebellion. And to say, hey, I'm going to become God, follow me. And one-third of them left. Thus, we have demons. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. See, what else do we know about Satan? He was once a beautiful angel that was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be like God, and now he wants to devour us. Those who call themselves Christians, those who are followers of Christ, he wants to devour like a roaring lion. It's like as if God and Satan are both in competition for our allegiance. But see, God created us and desires for us to have a relationship with him. Satan despises us and desires to destroy us. It's a different kind of competition. Satan hates all good things. Church, understand this. He hates it when we pray. He hates it when we come into this place and sing. He hates it when we bow our heads and look to him as God. When we open up his word and hear his words, Satan hates it. Satan hates it that 25 people got baptized this past uh, this past month in September. He hated that. He hated that when every now and then, some of you in this room, you've recommitted your life to Christ. And you on your visit a card, you like you, you fill it out. I get those cards and I look, it's like I recommitted my life to Christ today. That's awesome. He hates that. Satan hates all of that. He screams in anger when people surrender their lives to Christ. When we start growing, when the men in this building say, we're coming back tonight, we're going to pray together and we're going to eat together, Satan hates that. And when the ladies do the same thing with their Bible studies, Satan hates that. We have to understand there's a cosmic war, an invisible war that has taken place 24-7. It's like, what? That seems a little strange, right? In your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We've got some in the back. Dave's looking around. He'll bring one to you. And the, the page numbers that are up on the screen are what's in the Bibles that we have in the back. The book of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You're in the New Testament. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 15. I love this because the Apostle Paul is like, he's like Mr. Superhero of the New Testament. Wrote all these letters. And he's like, the Apostle Paul, man, godly man, right? Listen to what he says, such a godly man. Verse 15. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law is good. Verse 17. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That's my sinful nature. And I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered the principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably, inevitably do what is wrong. Verse 22. Listen to Paul. He's sitting, he, Paul's going, man, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I'm supposed to do, and, and, and I'm just struggling. But he says this, I love God. I love his word with all my heart, 
Look what he says in verse 23. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. That power makes me a slave to sin and it is still within me. Do you see the battle that's taking place inside Paul? Paul's a super apostle, right? And we're like, I don't know, I can't even match up with Paul. But you know what I can say? I can totally relate to Paul right now, can't you? I'm like, man, there's days I don't want to do something and I do it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And there's days I, I know I'm supposed to do something and I don't do it. It's like, why didn't I do that? I know I was supposed to do it. There's this battle going on inside. Paul accurately describes this invisible war. Look at the next scripture in Romans. Romans chapter 8. Just turn the page maybe in your Bible. Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 5. Paul goes on to say this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Isn't that true? I mean, if your mind's in the gutter, you think about the things in the gutter, right? But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You might want to underline that. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Listen to verse 9, church. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You hear that, church? If you have Christ in your life, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Verse 9, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've got God's Holy Spirit living in you. And although the war rages within you, which it does, it wars within me, God's Spirit is battling in there with sinful nature. God gives us the power to be victorious. Amen? That was a quiet amen. I hope you're a little bit more in agreement with God's word as we keep going here. But here's the thing. There is a battle. There is a war that's taking place within us at times and all around us. And we need to be alert to this. There's an, there's an incredible story. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll put, uh, we'll put the passage up on the screen. You can look this up later. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's this prophet by the name of Elisha. He's got a bounty on his head. And the king is out for him, hates him. He's going to arrest him, probably put him in prison, probably eventually kill him, right? Well, Elisha's with his servant in the house. Listen to this story. One night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what are we going to do now? The young man said to Elisha. So he just walks outside. He's like, oh, chariots, army, soldiers everywhere. And he goes back in. He's like, Elijah, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? There's an army out there, right? Elisha says, don't be afraid. There are more on our side than there are on theirs. And I can only imagine, paraphrasing, just throwing this out there, that maybe the servant went back out and was like, one, two, three, four, a lot. One, two. I, I, math isn't adding up here, Elisha. You just said there's more on our side than their side? You need to go back to math class because you're totally off, right? There's something wrong, right? Now, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but put this into kind of, what would you have done had Elisha said that to you? Would you have, I oh, know, you're all biblical, you're all churchy people. You would have like, oh, thankest thou was Elisha. You are truth, truthly correct Because there's a thuf on the end because he's talking King James or something, I don't know. What would you have done? Would you like, oh, yeah, you're right. We got more on our side than they do. No. We would have looked around like, are you, are, you, are you serious? There's you and me. There's a lot of them. But listen what happens next. 
Then Elijah said, Oh Lord. So he prays. Elijah prays. He goes, Oh Lord, open his eyes. Let him see, referring to his servant. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And he went out and he looked. And it says that in the mountains and surrounding the army, he saw on the hillside, it was filled with horses and chariots of fire. How cool is that? See, there's an invisible war going on. We just don't see it. And Elisha's like, it's time for you to see what's going on here. And he prayed and the eyes of that servant were opened and he saw that God's army was bigger than man. And it was an amazing thing. Church, listen, there is a world, we can't see it, but it's as real as touching your skin. And you might still be struggling with this. Let me, let me ask you this. Natural gas, electricity, carbon monoxide, viruses. You've seen them lately? Oh, I see it. No, you don't. You see the effects of those things. You cannot see any of those things, but you see the effects of those things. Spiritual warfare, you cannot see it, but you see the effects of it every day. We read in the Bible, there are times in which people were possessed by demons. I shared with the students Wednesday night, I picked up uh, the Bible and I, and I went to the book of Mark. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have the accounts of Jesus in it, okay? If you're trying to figure out where to start with reading the Bible, pick one of those books. Because the central thing to your faith is who? Jesus Christ, right? So, let's read about him. So, we pick up the book of Mark. Mark's the second book. Mark deals a lot with demon possession, and I was reading out Mark 1, 21, 24, 134, 134, 39, 3, 11 to 12, 3, 22 to 30, 4, 15, 5, 1 to 20, 6, 7, 7 to 24 to 30, 9, 14 to 29. And the references keep going. Just read through Mark. You're going to see there's demon possession all over the place. And you're like, I don't know if it really took place in the Bible. It does. And it sounds like a very freaky thing, doesn't it? Like, whoa, that, yeah. Sounds something like Hollywood-like more than reality. I mean, ghost stories, sorcery, witchcraft, they sound like fairy tales, right? But I'm going to tell you something. It is real, documented. It's nothing to mess with. And I'm going to know this, though, is that we get curious about it, don't we? we? We really get curious about that kind of stuff. Fortune tellers, Ouija boards, seances, they all seem intriguing. How many times have you driven by and there's a place in defiance? I'm always driving by and I'm always seeing it, the palm reader, the fortune teller. I always want to pull in and I'm always like, hey, did you know I was coming? Did you ever want to, did you ever want to do that? I've always wanted to do that, but I was like, no, I don't want to. Because you know why? Because that stuff is real. And it's, it's scary. It really is. I don't, want to, I don't want to dabble with it because I'm afraid of what could happen. But let's be honest. We all, we all are curious by it, aren't we? We will pay money to be scared. We will go to scary movies, haunted houses, scary corn mazes, not the ones you get lost in, but the ones that have scary people running through them just for what? That thrill of fear. We dabble. We may not, you know, we might, we ask questions. Is it wrong to be a follower of Harry Potter? Can I read those books? Is that going to be okay? Or, you know, is, is there anything wrong with wanting a good scare? And I'm just saying, we're all curious, aren't we? We sit there and maybe think, it's just entertainment, right? No big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's okay. Listen, I get it. I get it. Yesterday I was sitting there uh, with my sons and we were talking about something that took place about 30 years ago um, when I was in college. And that's a long time ago. Maybe it's 20-something years ago. Let's, Let's cut that back a little bit. I'm feeling old. 
But we're talking, I was saying, there's this place called Pig Land, and, and Pig Land was this, this farmer who had pigs actually in his front yard, and across the road was this big junkyard, and in that junkyard was a school bus that was in an accident, and there's a story about the accident, and you can hear the screams of the kids, and, and you know, it's this really built-up scary story. And I remember in college, we went there, and we snuck on, and we tried to sneak under the property and get onto the bus and, and hear the screams, and it was like, I have no idea why we did that. Um, my one son was like, is that so the girls would get closer to you? It's like, no. Who does that? Anyway, but I get it because I remember back as a kid, you know, I really believe Halloween was my favorite holiday. I remember coloring uh, pictures and making ghosts and all that kind of stuff. And I love decorating my room all scary like, and I was, and it might've been because of the candy too. Don't get me wrong. I liked candy, but there was something about it that was very intriguing. Listen, church, this is very carefully. There's no harm, right? I mean, I'm not going to be a Satan worshiper, right? So why not dabble? And I figure, and and so we battle with that, right? That kind of, and I bring it up because Halloween's coming, and there's a lot of stuff out there right now, and some of us may question: Is it okay or not okay? And we might be asking questions. So I had to back up and think: Well, how does God feel about this? Because again, we've got God, we've got Satan. There is a spiritual battle taking place. What does God think about all this? Go to Old Testament, Book of Deuteronomy. Fifth book in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, we can sort of get a feel maybe for what God thinks, okay? And, and there's no, let me tell you something, there's no reading between the lines. It's not like, I wonder what he's really trying to say here. He's going to make it really clear, okay? So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, I'll start reading. It says this, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Whoa, time out. Okay. I'm good with that. You all good with that? Clay, you good with that? All right, good. All right. I'm not worried about sacrificing my son as a burnt offering. That's good. Okay. And we're sitting there going, what was going on with these people? That's a good question. Read on. See how much worse it gets. Do not let your people practice fortune telling, use sorcery, Interpret omens, engage in witchcraft, cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. There's there's no reading between the lines. That's pretty clear cut, isn't it? It's because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers. But the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. The people of God are are ready to move in. They are ready to, to, to do what God wants to do. But God says, hey, before you do this, you can't do any of that other stuff that they're doing. It's detestable to me. I think he makes it pretty clear. But why? Why does God hate it so much? You got to ask the question. Maybe. Because it takes us away from him, right? Listen, we may not be worshiping Satan, but we're surely not worshiping God when we're doing these things, are we? The goal of Satan is not necessarily to make us Satan worshipers. It isn't like he's like, hey, I want you all to become worshiping me, because he knows we won't. But if he can persuade us just to worship something else or somebody else like ourselves. That's a victory for him. He was full of pride. Did you remember back in Isaiah? I will, I will, I will. See that pride just puffing up? Same things happens to us. 
our pride gets in the way and we start worshiping ourselves. It's a victory for Satan. When we choose to be the God of our life and we reject the one true God of Israel, the one true God of the universe, our creator, our Lord, when we reject him, who are we lining up with? We're lining up with his opponent. He has tactics, he has schemes. We need to be aware of what his goal is. In your Bibles, go back to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, uh, verses 10 to 12. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the, putting on the full armor of God. Paul says, okay, so how do we deal with all of this? How do we handle it? And he gets into it. I'm only going to just point out a couple things here. Starting in verse 10, Paul says, here's the final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, the schemes of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil powers and rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Church, listen very carefully. He has schemes. He has strategies. And he does not fight fair. What if I said, you know, I were to come up here and I started to preach to you today. And I said, church, I just want to let you know, when it comes to stealing, taking something that doesn't belong to you, it's okay. And I'm going to tell you why it's okay. Because if you're a hard worker and your boss doesn't see what you are doing, that's not your fault. So it's okay if you take from work because you deserve it. It's okay to take something that doesn't belong to you, especially if you are in need. If you are without something, you, you probably need it more than the person that has it. They're probably not taking care of it anyway. So it's okay to take it, especially from the government. Oh, they don't need what I have. Now, if I were to preach that kind of message this morning from the pulpit, would you come back next week? Honestly, would you come back next week? I'm seeing some head shake no. Do me a favor. If I ever preach like that, this place better be crickets next week. Nobody better be in here. Because that's garbage. That's, that's false. If I continue to do that, saying, hey, not, I got something else I want to preach. I'm going to show you how to justify cheating in your relationships with one another. I'm going to show you how to justify drunkenness and drug usage. Because that's okay. Would you come back? No. I'm going to tell you why you guys wouldn't come back. Because this is a church that wants to learn God's ways. You're wanting to be in his word and you are learning from his word and you are pursuing in a godly way. So you would never come back and listen to that, right? Taking something that doesn't belong to you. Drunkenness, drug usage, cheating on relationships. You would never hear that from the pulpit. But, you wouldn't stand for it, right? But, if I put some music to it, You'd listen to it. If I put it on the movie screen with some beautiful actors and actresses, you'd watch it. Wouldn't you? Think about it. I do. Sometimes when I'm, I've, I've watched a movie and I'm going, <laughs> it doesn't even line up with God's word. But I'll let, the, I'll let the TV speak to me. But you wouldn't let me speak to you that way, would you? See the schemes? See the tactics used by Satan? To deceive us? He's like a coach running a certain play to fake out the defense so that he can score. Listen, the struggle is not a battle of hand-to-hand. -hand. It is a 
in your mind and in your heart. It's, it's an invisible war. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Let me read a couple of passages to you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says this. We're human. We don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Paul's saying we've got to take every thought captive. The attack is in our mind. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver of truth. He wants us to believe these lies. Our mind, our belief system is where the battle's at. So we know what God's word has to say, right? But if, if he can take it and pull us away from the word and dress it up and make rebellion look beautiful, we might actually bite into it thinking it's okay. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Satan has blinded us to the gospel, to the truth. The God of this world is trying to blind us so we do not see it. I mean, seriously. If we sat down and we seriously threw out all arguments and said, is it okay to poison our bodies with chemicals and drug usage? You'd say, no. If I said, is it okay to take a baby and murder it? Is that okay? You'd say, no. But if I can change the wording and I can change how you look at it and make it look justifiable, I've blinded you to the truth. That's what Satan does. We know that lives are being destroyed. We know what drug usage can do. We know about abortion. We know what lingers. And we know, wow, if we would just stop and see the way God sees it, we'd say, wow, why are we accepting of that? We, we can't be, can we? We must realize that when we choose the things of this world, what do we do? We're lining ourselves up with Satan. When we go against the Bible, who do we line ourselves up with? Satan. That is our spiritual opponent. When you read in the Bible, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Or, or how about we're supposed to guard our hearts? Or be kind one to another. Forgive one another. Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. What about we're supposed to guard our speech not to use obscenities. Or to use strong language. Or we're supposed to be sexually pure. Or our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's all in God's word. And we're saying like, not today God. Guess who we just lined ourselves up with? His opponent. To do otherwise from God's word is to disobey, to snub God's command. Listen, it's not about, well, I want to be a goody two-shoe. Oh, you got good morals. No, I've got my allegiance with God. You got to choose. Is it God or is it Satan? Oh, I would never choose Satan. Well, if you're not choosing God, guess who you're lined up with? We would never be, like I said, a Satan worshiper, but we would do the things that he tempts us to do. And sometimes he causes us as, you know, Christians that look at Christianity and say, boy, that's Christianity sure is dull. It's boring. You know, you go to your church, it's boring. Maybe Satan tries to make the things of this world look really good, right? Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, he does not play fair. He does not play fair. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 14, another scripture you can look up, says this about how Satan masquerades as an angel of light. 
It says this. These people are false apostles. They're false teachers. They're deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul's giving this warning here saying, hey, these guys that are coming to you, they're not telling you the truth. They're taking God's word and they're, trist- they're twisting it up. What is being preached is being twisted and it's wrong. And then he goes on to say this. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Anybody can pick up a Bible and go around and start quoting scripture, pulling it out of context, and it can sound really good, masquerading as an angel of light, not realizing that scripture taken out of context or twisted away can take people down the wrong path. Well, what do you think we do? You know? We'll go back to Ephesians 6. What did it say? Be strong in who? The Lord. Be strong in who? The Lord. One more time. Be strong in who? The Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Church is not about, I'm going to muster up all the strength I can. I can't. But Christ in me, I can. It's a command that we can't do, but it's a command we're to obey. To allow ourselves to be continually strengthened by the power that's already been made made available to us in our new life in Christ. If you are new in Christ, you've got the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living in you and I right now. Turn in your Bibles one more passage. We'll wrap this up. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Incredible story here in the, in the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book in the New Testament. Jesus is, um, came across this man who had a demon. And what happens is he, he casts the demon out. And all these religious leaders are standing around like, oh, how did he do it? Oh, I know how he did it. He... Uh, He's got the power of Satan within him. And Jesus is like, what? You're saying that... Okay, let me read this to you. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out a demon. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus is like, okay. He responds to that, letting them know that that is goofy thinking. That I'm going to cast out demons because I'm demonic. Does not make sense, right? Jesus goes on to say, verse 21, for when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him and strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Jesus draws a line and goes, hey, you're working with me or you're working against me? Which one is it? And Jesus saying, by the way, the whole strong man thing, I'm the strong man. I'm stronger than Satan. I'm more powerful than Satan. I'm the one who tied him up and threw him out. The demon was the opposition. And Jesus says, if you're not with me, you are the opposition. Read on, verse 24. When an evil spirit leaves a person... It goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and it finds that its former home is all swept in an order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself and they all enter the person and live there. So the person is worse off than before. Jesus is showing us here that this evil spirit was kicked out. And if you do not occupy the house... With God, the evil spirit returns and brings back his buddies as well. And the person will be worse off than before. Are you following me, church? Jesus is trying to tell these people this. It's like, yeah, I'm more powerful than Satan. I kicked him out. He's gone. But if you don't replace that evil spirit with the power of God, 
guess who's coming back? And they will overpower with even more. So in answering those who accused him of working by the power of Satan, Jesus told them he not merely not only fought against Satan and beat him, and he didn't come merely just to empty the house, he came to fill it back up. Jesus didn't come just to clean us up, but to fill us up as well with his spirit, with his power. And how does he do that? You look in Ephesians 6 and it talks about the the full armor of God. We put on the full armor of God. It includes all the weapons we need, but most of them are defensive weapons. The only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you go on to read here in verse 27, it says, As he was speaking, so Jesus is wrapping this up, this woman cries out from from the crowd, God bless your mother! the womb in which you came and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Even then, people are starting to, hey, let's worship Mary. God bless the woman who gave you birth. Let's worship Mary. And right, right, Jesus like cutting it down. Uh-uh. He goes, even more blessed are the ones who take the word of God and put it into practice. Church, we can't just talk about the Bible. We can't just pick up the Bible and read it. We can't just memorize verses. We've got to put it into practice. It is God's word that we open and we study and we read and helps us battle temptation. It is God's word that directs our paths and helps us make the right decision. It is God's word that exposes the tactics of the devil and his schemes. We must fill up with God's word. So to close this up, I, I want to take you back to... When I was a younger boy. Because okay. when I was a younger boy, there's a lot of things that I truly loved. Besides Halloween. And one of those things were donuts. Now, donuts can be a weakness for me. Okay, And here's my biggest weakness. Do you ever have the cream-filled long johns? These are delightful. I don't know what it is about donuts, but you put the cream in there with them. I mean, they're, they're, mm, wow. I hit the jackpot right there. Soft, sweet, somewhat filling. And here's the thing. We hired Pastor Paul to come on. His second day of work, he brought in a box of donuts. We hired a good man. However, I, as much as I love donuts, oh, that cream one, that was really good right there. As much as I love donuts, I discovered that donuts were not good for me growing up. They helped me grow out, but not up. And I had to start saying a little bit more no to donuts. As much as they're so good, right? And, and so it's like, stop eating the donuts, right? Maybe do something. And then along comes Pastor Paul with these donuts. And, and I was like, nope, I'm good. I don't need any. And there they sat in a box. And everybody went home at lunch. And I was in the office by myself. With a box of donuts. But I was strong. 
for five minutes. <laughs> and I open up the box, and there are some big donuts in there. And I admit, I got a knife out, and I cut off a slice, and I closed up the box and thought, nobody will notice. And I went back the next day, and the box was there, and the knife was in there, and they all probably knew somebody was in there. And it was me. I mean, I, I was... I was Doing so good. I was so tempted. But you know what I found out? Here's, here's, here's the thing I want you to hear. There's something better. There's something better that I needed. And as I grew up, started growing up, here's the thing. I discovered that this is what I need to have in my life more. More vegetables, more fruits. And so now, by the way, we open from the... You don't open this, but you open from the bomb. When you eat a banana... And I actually had a drummer one time. He said when he thought about God, he was like... I'm going to put my finger straight down the middle here. He, he goes, when I think about God, I think about bananas. I was like, where do you, who's, who's this guy? I mean, he's like, what is he? Because when he pushed his finger down through, he goes, see, it went into three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I was like, that is way cool, right? So, hey, I'm just filling myself up with the Spirit, okay? So, as I go through life now, I try to eat more of these. You know why? They're so good for you. These things are healthier, right? So whether it's an apple or pineapple or, or what, it's like pick the fruit, start eating the fruit, fill myself up with this. And here's the thing. The more fruit I ate, I actually had less room for this. And my taste actually changed too. I had a stronger desire to eat more of this than that. And I'm going to tell you something. This is still a temptation for me. I got sprinkles on them now. <laughs> All kinds of frosting. And with a cup of coffee, two are no problem, okay? But here's the thing I know this is better for me. I know this is what I need to fill up on. That's become a less temptation. It's still tempting. But the more I fill up on this, the stronger I feel, the better I feel, the healthier it is for me. Does that make sense? Worship team, would you come forward? I, I share all this for this reason. The more you fill up with this, the healthier you'll be spiritually. The stronger you'll be spiritually. The temptations of this world are no doubt there and alive. But we must continually, continually fill up with God's word. I'm never going to ask you to change your allegiance for your teams. That's okay. You keep cheering for your teams. All right? If you're an Ohio State fan, cheer for them. Michigan, cheer for them. Notre Dame, Texas, Wisconsin, whatever. Cheer for whoever you want. I'm telling you, cheer for whoever you want. But when it comes to spiritual allegiance, I'm going to tell you right now, it's time to firm up where you stand. Your allegiance to God matters. There's a battle out there, and there's a battle for your heart. Do not... Do not fall to the schemes of Satan. Your opponent's real, but God is bigger. Be alert during this season. It's, it's, it's Halloween's coming up. A lot of evil things lurking, movies, entertainment, whatever it may be. In life in general, it seems really harmless, but it's really harmful. Just be alert to some of those things. Know that your heart and mind is a battlefield. Satan wants to conquer it and win it. But greater is he, Jesus Christ, who is in you than he, Satan, who is in this world. 
greater is he. Amen? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know the temptation is real. We know they're, they're just, they're, they're going to come out of nowhere. They're, they're coming from Satan. He's a scheming strategist who wants our allegiance to fall away from you. God, we need to be filled with you, with your spirit, your word. And all the sweet things in life, oh yeah, they're pleasurable, but they can be harmful. We need to be aware of that. We need what is better for us, and that is you, that is your spirit, that is your word, that is your son, Jesus Christ, who brings salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come here today to worship you. We need more of you. God, if there's somebody in this room today who's, who doesn't know you, and today's a great day just to surrender their life to you, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for your spirit to come into their life. Lord, help us as we, as Christians who have already made that decision, to stand strong in our allegiance to you. You are a great God. We need to worship you with all that we have. It's hard to do that when we're running empty. So Lord, fill us up with your spirit, with your word. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now.